You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to episode number two in the Maiden Voyage here as we're taking off with our new podcast, Behind Enemy Lines. This is Mark from Matchsticks and Gasoline, the Calgary Flames website for SB Nation. We are taking this podcast in a little different area. We're getting in touch with the opposition that the Flames are seeing uh, in the upcoming weeks. And today we are kind enough to be joined by Dave Melton, who is with Second City Hockey, who's covering the Chicago Blackhawks. Dave, thank you so much for coming on and talking with us today. Oh, my pleasure, Mark. Thanks for having me. No problem. Um, look, the, the elephant in the room, uh, I think it's pretty obvious. Uh, the Blackhawks season has been tough on many different levels. Um, for you guys, as you know, the crew that covers the Blackhawks for SB mm-hmm. Nation, what has this been like for you guys? Because lots and lots of uh, like not good things to talk about at the start of the season, and not even right. including the hockey. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the hockey was bad enough for like two or three weeks, and then like that, the whole internal investigation thing has been kind of – hovering over the team since the summer. Um, and it's just, it's just been weird and, and, and unpleasant and awkward and just all the, all, just all the uncomfortable things that you can possibly think of. And I think, um, I think for each person on our staff and I think everyone across the Blackhawks fan base, it's kind of a time where you, you reassess why you care or like just why we do this. Like about, I've, I know I've found myself just, that's kind of a, a just a, uh, general principle I've been exploring lately for the last few years is why we care so much about sports in general. And when all this came out, it was, it was a really like deep look of like, you know, do I even like, how much do I care? Do I still want to do this? Like, do I still want to watch this team? Do I still want to follow this team? And um, everybody came down to a different answer. So I, and, and I still know plenty of people that are not, actively following the Hawks right now um, and, and might, might come back later, but they're just like taking a little break for themselves, which is totally understandable. Um, I, th- I think for me personally, it just kind of got to a point where I kind of realized like you don't really watch the team for the team necessarily. Like I'm just rooting for Chicago because I grew up in this area and I'm just too lazy to uh, join any other fan bases. It's, it's, it's more, it's like just more of a cultural thing. Like it's more for me, and even like the last 10 years, all the success and everything they had, like it was cool. Don't get me wrong. Like I, you know, the parades, the the victories, everything was, it was so much fun, but like ultimately the, the people on the, and the people that did all these awful, terrible things ultimately is not like the reason why we do all this. The reason why we do this is just for the communal aspect of, you know, watching the game with your friends or your family, or, you know, I had a group of friends that we went to a couple of the parades with, um, you know, just all those all those goofy little memories that you have, whether your team's winning championships or losing all 82 games. It's like the shared experience with other people. That's why we do this. So that's why I'm still maybe not as fervently as at other times, but I'm still going forward with all of it. And I, I think um, but like that, I feel like all that secondary and I meant to say this at the top, but like. 
we've we've kind of focused on the fan perspective. Obviously, like the biggest thing that this whole situation is hopefully Kyle Beach got some sort of closure from all this coming out. Um, and and the amount of courage and strength and everything he has showed, I don't have the words to describe how impressive that of all that was. Um, but we just kind of tried to I don't know how to speak to what he did, so we just didn't even bother. We just tried to focus on the fan perspective, and that's where I went through all the hoops I was just explaining. Yeah, no, and that's a great way to look at it too. And I think it's also, I mean, it was probably hard to deal with and cover. Like I read the report. It, mm-hmm. I mean, I you know, it was like yeah, seventy pages in, and I was like, oh my, like, why am I continuing to read this? But I think yeah. it's important to educate yourself. And what you guys did is you guys provide a service for the fans to be like, you, it's one of those things you have to cover, but it's also a mm-hmm. way for you to get to the fans and reach the fans with maybe a different opinion that the local Mm -hmm. media or the national media has on it with, you know, just being like, you know, this absolutely wasn't right, you know, and I think you you provide a service and that's, you know, you got good on you guys for doing that. You know, I mean, we did a podcast on it. We were all like, uh, how do we even address this? You know? So Mm -hmm. I think it's, I think you can look at it that way too. You got the community aspect of it, but you're also, you're providing something Mm -hmm. for the fans explaining, you know, what's going on. So, you know, good on you guys because it couldn't have been easy. Yeah, and, and ultimately, like, and it, we're kind of in this place now where, like, the national spotlight kind of drifts away and all the, you know, all the yeah. big media attention disappears. And now, like, well, now what do we do? Yeah. You know, like, there's still 65 or so games left. And, you know, the the player, 99% of the people involved in that circumstances aren't here anymore. They're all yeah. gone. There's only two players from that team left. They are two very important players, but, yeah. you know, there's this entirely new thing. So, it's just like trying to wrestle with not completely ignoring what happened, but also like, you know, I, I, I need something to do on Saturday or, or on weeknight. Yeah. You know, you know, I'm not going to just sit and watch reality TV every night. It sucks. I'd rather watch hockey. So and the Hawks yeah, are no. the one that are on. So. Yeah, no. And, it, and it's, a, it's an absolute valid point. And I guess that hops into my next question is like the fan base as a whole, like at the arena and in Chicago, Illinois as a whole, um, like what, I mean, how has the reaction been? Like, has it been like a 50-50 split? Or do you think there's a majority of fans are like, eh, are they kind of in a lurch? Um, well, it's it's an interesting combination of things because, like, the Blackhawks have not been good for five seasons now. Yep. Uh, the only time they made the playoffs was when the pandemic expanded the playoff field. And, yeah, they won the qualifying round and got into the actual playoffs, but um, that that's it. So, like interest was already felt like it was starting to wane a little bit because the team wasn't very good. And then all of that came out. And I think the game they played the night after the investigation was released. And I think that like an hour before the game is when Kyle beach went public for the first mm-hmm. time. And it was the most awkward hockey game. I, I think I kind of watched maybe it was against Toronto and I don't remember what the announced attendance was, but it was maybe I maybe 10 grand, which is half the stadium. Maybe yeah. and that was like rounding up significantly. And then, you know, they had this big sellout streak that they've been touting for like 10, 12 years. And that ended a week or two before the investigation came out. So interest has definitely been waning already. And I think it, um, the, all that whole situation just kind of cemented the people that had already started walking away and it, it forced even more people to move away. So overall, just there, there's all these factors where, I'd say overall interest in the team is in a general downward trajectory right now. And uh, I have, even though they've won five of the last six, it feels like they're kind of an afterthought. They're always kind of an afterthought in the first half of the season anyway, because the bears and the NFL take over the city. 
And now the the Bulls are good, so maybe they're going to get more attention as well because basketball's always got a bigger spotlight in Chicago. But yeah. um, it yeah, it feels like it's just going to keep staying downward unless they go on some crazy second half tear. Um, mm-hmm. It's probably going to stay going that way. Um, I last thing we'll touch upon this, and I this is something that always I always wondered how the league would handle it because the Blackhawks mm-hmm. are an original six franchise. You know, right. they're a marquee franchise with the Bruins, the Leafs, the Canadians, the Red Wings, etc. Um, do you think maybe like the punishment wasn't as heavy handed because they like there are they are an original six franchise. They are, a, a you know, a, 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 a team that's been in the league forever, you know, since mm-hmm. the inception of the league. Do you think maybe the league was a little not I guess lighter on them? Because, you know, we, we had our own theory about what punishment should have been. But what do I know? I'm not Gary Batman. Yeah. Um, what uh, do you think? Maybe that played a little bit into it. Probably. I, mean, I would yeah. it wouldn't doubt at all. I mean, I'm sure the Blackhawks always have gotten. I, probably preferential treatment compared to some other teams just with the original six status and being in a huge market. I mean, look how many winter classic games they've played in. Yep. You know, they know the, even if the Blackhawks aren't that great, they'll, they carry a big ratings number. We'll see how much that applies in the next few years. Um, I, I think like when, when this all happened and, and I, I had it took me like two or three days to get to the idea of, Oh, like the league's probably going to come down on them as well. And my first thought went to the Coyotes situation and they lost draft picks. So I, I, I thought it was going to be way worse. Yeah. Uh, $2 million fine. Like I'm sure they got it. You know, that the worst family has a, a liquor business outside of running the Blackhawks. So they're not broke. Um, and I don't yeah. imagine they had a difficult time coming up with $2 million. So yeah, I, I, I thought for sure it was going to be a way worse penalty. I thought maybe draft picks were somehow going to get forfeit, but yeah. um, you know, I guess that's 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 the way the the league kind of operates. So it's it's amazing how this league does operate sometimes. It's, what's it's what's acceptable and what's game. not acceptable. <laughs> yeah, and that goes. I mean, that goes down from that investigation all the way down to what is goaltender interference. There's so much. Exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a, it covers a lot of ground. It does. All right. So on to the season. Um, Clearly not a good start to the season. What was it? 11 in a row? Uh, but one, nine and two in the first 12 games. <laughs> yeah, so this, this two loser points. That's good. Right. That yeah, counts for something yeah. in the end, you know, right. Um, right. Yeah. A lot went into that. Like what was the main factor? Was it just, is the talent just not there anymore? Well, People getting older. The, there it was very interesting when the Hawks made all their offseason moves. I think there was a few, there was like two or three people that have a national hockey media presence that were like, oh, this team's a cup contender. And no, no, they weren't. <laughs> I mean, they, they certainly had like last season, the, the, the 2021 season, they said they were going to go with all youth players, uh, focus on young guys, try and build some talent. Um, and, and they largely stuck to that, although they played some veterans more than we felt they should have. But still, and then, you know, in a span of two weeks, you add, you trade away Adam Boquist, your top 10 pick from a few years ago, and you add Seth Jones and Tyler Johnson and Marc-Andre Fleury, guys who are not young and are not, yeah. you know, pretty much are what they are at this point, which, you know, Jones and Fleury especially are pretty good hockey players, and Fleury just won the Vesna. So obviously, long-term rebuild didn't seem to be in the cards anymore. Uh, It seemed like they were focusing more on a win now thing, but their head coach, a former head coach, Jeremy Colleton just had the Hawks hadn't been really that good under his tenure entirely. There was a lot of uh, complaints about his system, not being very good. It was too much of a reliance on man to man. There were players skating wide open all the time, often right in front of the Blackhawks net. 
And the only way they ever seem to win games is if their goalie played out of their minds or if they scored like four goals on the power play. That was it. At five on five, this team has been getting their asses kicked for like four years now. Um, So all of the, and then you take all of those factors, you add the bad cloud of the uh, internal investigation over it. And it was just, there was just this this general, it felt like just this general air of defeat around the team. And uh, by like the third home game, the crowd was chanting fire Colleton. So it was just all these circumstances all kind of uh, fed into each other and they just, nothing worked. And if anything went wrong at any point of the game, the whole team collapsed. If there was a goal overturned or, um, you know, a a bad bounce that ended up in a goal, this team had the mental stability of, of dragonfly, like just nothing whatsoever. And anything went wrong, they went south. And that's how you lose uh, 11 of your first 12. I mean, outside of the internal investigation, that sounds like a lot of what the Flames went through two or three years ago. Yeah. Like if, like when they had Mike Smith, if Smith wasn't playing out of his mind, mm-hmm. they were trash. And yeah, um, and it's just, and you can just, it's it's hard to, you know, it's like hard to eye test and sometimes hard to quantify, although the Blackhawks numbers were always terrible. But there's just this general feeling of as soon as like something goes wrong, you just know in the back of your mind, here we go. Three goals coming the other way and we're not going to score any, so. Yeah, no, that's how it usually works when you're when you're buzzing around the net, but then you take that stupid penalty, and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. the penalty kills out there, and then the puck's in the back of the net ten seconds in. Exactly. It's almost like the flames in overtime. The only thing we can really <laughs> complain about Calgary this year is like goes to overtime and it it's over like that. Game's done. Flames lose in yeah. overtime. But um moving up, Marc Andre Fleury. I mean, obviously a huge signing, um, you know, mm-hmm. legend in the league, always been a quality <laughs> goaltender. Uh, did not start off strong by any stretch of the imagination, but he's mm-hmm. won four in a row. Um where do you stand on the flurry signing? Is this something that maybe will work this season or is it going to be one of those wait and see type situations? Well, I'm the, the interesting part will be what they do with him when we get to near the trade deadline, because he's got yeah. one year left. He's at $7 million and the Hawks don't seem this, this is the part where we, it, there's a lot of question marks around the team because not only did the, you know, the, the GM got fired, the head coach just got fired. It's a completely different regime in charge right now, all with the interim tag. So it's really like I, nobody really knows. It seems like where the team is headed in terms of are they trying to win now? Are they trying to win long term? Are they trying to do both? So, but coming back to Flurry on that, um, I guess part of what will tell us the the direction that they're heading is how they handle Flurry in the future um, when we get to the trade deadline. Because obviously, a guy who just won the Vezina is still very good. And yep. the last four games, I think he stopped like ninety seven percent of the shots he's faced. I think. I wrote it after our recap. It's 135 saves on 140 shots. Last That's pretty good. That's pretty, pretty good. good. Coincidentally, the team's 4-0 in those games. Um, the first few weeks of the season, it was just a combination of he was getting absolutely no help from his defense. Yep. So there were a lot of tapping goals that he had no, no way to stop. And there were also like a handful of really soft goals that he – well, not a, a lot, but there, there were some soft goals that he allowed that started the downward spiral that we were talking about earlier. Like in particular, they played in Pittsburgh. It was a big deal. It was Fleury's homecoming. He played with Pittsburgh forever. And he, I don't think he made it out of the first period. And he went into the into the tunnel and there was reports. Uh, so a few of the reporters saw him like swinging his stick, throwing gear or whatever. Just, just he obviously wanted to play a lot better. And and if you guys know anything about Marc-Andre Fleury, which everyone loves that guy. And yeah. the heart broke him. <laughs> so it was that, that was part of the downward spiral of the first month of the season so um 
I, I it's and Flurry is certainly proving that he's still a very good goalie. He's he's bounced back. Hopefully, there's more of the more of the latter performances than the former ones. Um, I guess it seems like he'll be the number one guy until we get to March or April, and then we'll see where the team is at and whether or not they uh, they hang on to him because. I have a hard time imagining them re-signing him because he's going to cost a ton of money, but we don't know because the G- the GM's an interim guy right now. So I don't know what to tell you on that part. No, and that, that makes a lot of sense because you're not going to give somebody who's probably not going to be there at the end of the year the mm-hmm. keys to the franchise at the trade deadline and be like, oh, you know, make all these moves and build your own team. By the way, yeah. you're fired in Well, well that that's what the most bizarre – from a purely hockey perspective, that was the most bizarre part of everything that's happened in the last six months is the 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 first rumblings of this of the inter, of the lawsuits that were filed against the Blackhawks was actually I can tell you specifically it was May twelfth because I was in the drafty line at a Dairy Queen to get a blizzard as a birthday treat for myself and I had a message from someone saying hey did you see this and it was the first rumblings of the Blackhawks lawsuit and then so as um, the NHL offseason happened in like July or August this year because it was a weird schedule. So you had this investigation hanging over everyone's head for six months, and you uh, you knew something went wrong, and they still let Stan Bowman completely change the traje- uh, the trajectory of the entire franchise in the summer with the Seth Jones trade and the Flurry trade, and now he's gone. So now what do we do? Yeah. So it's it was bizarre that that they that a guy who may not be may not be here in the long term and turns out he was not that they still let him do all of that it was very strange it that, that's also a very flames thing to do be like oh you're not going to be here but here's the, here's some make some moves and let's see what we yeah, can get out yeah, of bring, it. bring the place down before you walk out the door <laughs> exactly exactly we're going to take a quick break here on uh behind enemy lines when we come back we're going to have more blackhawks and flames talk with second city hockey when we return Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. And welcome back to Behind Enemy Lines. We are talking with Dave Melton of Second City Hockey, talking about getting to know the Chicago Blackhawks. And we took the first half and we discussed it's been a tough season. I mean, now we'll go into a little more of the hockey aspect of it. Outside of Chicago's top three, scoring has clearly been an issue. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, Kane, uh, Alex DeBrinkett. Like, it's it's been tough. How Where do you get scoring from after that? Like, how does how does Chicago build that back up and get moving. Well, the biggest name that's been kind of underwhelming this season so far is Dominic Kubalik, who mm-hmm. I don't think um, he came to the Hawks as a free agent out of Europe a few years ago. And not, you know, not a much was expected out of him because it was kind of an unknown thing. And then he showed up and I think he scored 30 goals in his first season. Uh, trying to look this up for you guys. Cause I can't remember offhand. Yeah. He had 30 goals in 68 games. That was a season that got cut short by the pandemic. Last season, he had 17 and 56, so pretty close to a 30-goal pace again. So far, he's got three goals in 18 games this season. That was supposed to be one of the key secondary scorers on the team. He's been on the line with Jonathan Taves the entire season. He has three goals. Taves does not have any. So I think in terms of pure goal scoring, those are probably the two guys that need to get off the schneid the most. 
to get uh, some more secondary scoring. The other guy is Dylan Strome, who the concern we kept having is that uh, he was going to get traded because for whatever reason, Jeremy Colleton and him did not see eye to eye. Um, yeah. I think it was Colleton didn't believe in his defensive game, whatever. Strom's obviously more of an offensive guy, although his defense has been getting better the last few seasons mm-hmm. for sure. And part of that might just be, you know, he's still a fairly young player. So he's since Strom, uh, since the Colleton firing, the new coach, Derek King, has played Strom, I believe, in every single game. And and he's starting to pop off a little bit more. He actually was on the line with, uh, it was Taves with Strom and Brandon Hagel. Uh, was was one of their top performing lines against the Canucks on Sunday night. So I'd say the, those guys probably the Dylan Strom, Dominic Kubalik will probably be your two primary guys, and then probably throw Taves in there too because he hasn't scored a goal yet. Okay, fair enough. I mean, and I'm looking at the standings right now. I mean, despite the bad start, uh, Chicago's got 14 points in there, only three points behind Colorado um, for fifth place. I mean, that is obviously, you know, the Central is a pretty tough division. It's a physical division i mean for years i mean watching the flames play teams like the stars and the blues and the wild was like excruciatingly painful you know two to one games heavy on the boards lots of checking uh, you know standing mm-hmm. up the blue line neutral zone and like um can the blackhawks climb out of this hole or is this kind of a lost season for chicago um well like we to, to put this into context this is something that we were we were talking about internally on our staff and i i put it into an article today that so the Hawks after the first 12 games, like if you set the bar at 95 points to get you into the playoffs, they needed over the last you know, after the first 12 games, they had four points to reach 95. They needed to play at a pace of like just under 107 points for the last seven, last 70 games, which felt unrealistic. They've won five of six now. Now you uh, can tone that down a little bit to just a pace of just under 104 points over the last. <laughs> 65 games or 64, excuse me. So uh, it is going to be difficult. As you mentioned, the central division is very good. You know, I think getting back to that thing I mentioned about, you know, some of the people considered the Hawks a cup contender. I think our staff, like we had three of the four of us said the Hawks are going to be a playoff team. And that was like the number eight seed, the second wild card. And that was, and I felt very, I felt like I was being too optimistic by saying that because it's mainly because the division is very good. So um, I, I'm not, none of us are optimistic about them making the playoffs. Uh, it's going to be a hell of a climb to get back up there. Um, I won't rule it out because, you know, I got to have something to hope for. Yeah. But, <laughs> uh, the, the math does not line up well in their favor right now. We'll say. Fair enough. Um, you're named general manager of the Blackhawks tomorrow. You're under uh, contract. How do you fix the Chicago Blackhawks? Like what's your first, your first order of business? Well, I mean, the first order of business would be like hiring a like NHL coach with a proven track record. Yep. No flight to Derek King, who's obviously he's five and one right now, so that's pretty good. Um, how well that's going to project over the long term is uh, we'll, we'll find out because uh, they it's I, I believe they said that their their intention is to ride out the season with the interim staff that they have and, and then reassess in April, but. First thing I do is hire a proven track a coach with a proven track record, like maybe like a Bruce Boudreaux or something like that. Just somebody that has won before at the NHL level. Like the other name, some people, I, I saw a few people toss out Mike Babcock. I'm like, not this team, not this moment, not no. right now. You're not hiring Mike Babcock. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so, I, and after that, like there's, as far as the roster goes, like it's not, 
it's not a roster completely devoid of talent. Like I will, I will, I mean, Patrick Kane's still here. Taves is still here. Uh, Alex Debrinkit is becoming a star. Yeah. Uh, which it's, I, I feel like he probably won't get much attention because everyone looks at Patrick Kane first on the blue line. Like there's, you know, Seth Jones may not be a $10 million value, but he's still going to be a pretty good defenseman. Uh, Mark Andre Fleury's proving his worth right now. Um, they have some, some younger players that are, uh, to have some hope in the future, maybe not to be a top line guy, but second, third liners for sure. So I would, the first thing I would do is get a coach in here that can maximize the talent you have and see where that talent takes you and, and then go from there. That would I be mean, the, the shortest route. Yeah. And I think coaching makes it's, I think coaching is overvalued in some sports like baseball. Mm-hmm. Like I think a baseball manager manages personalities. They don't really manage the game too much. Like mm-hmm. li- living in Boston, I work in Boston media watching Terry Francona win a world series in 04, like Terry Francona did not win that world series. He managed a group yeah. of personalities. That's all like in, but I've in some sports, the same argument with Ozzy Gian the year after. So yes. Yeah. You know, and, but in hockey, I think it's different because I look at Calgary. I mean, they had Glenn Gullitson, they had Bill Peters, they had Jeff Ward. None of those yeah. guys could get that core of Gaudreau, Monaghan, Kachuk, Giordano to, to do anything. Mm. Daryl Sutter comes back to Calgary and now you've got a bona fide, proven winning hockey coach who took right. this team to a Stanley Cup final, and you bring in a goalie. And I think Calgary filled those two holes perfectly. You seem like you have the goalie in Flurry if the money works out and things continue. And if you get the coach, the coach actually in hockey, I think, makes a bigger difference than anywhere else. Yeah, it's. I think with with hockey, it's um, it's like you have a lower ceiling than any other sport. Like if you have a coach that can't can't match up lines, can't uh, put a lineup together, doesn't know how to properly deploy his players, like the the bottom will drop out no matter how good your roster is, as we saw the first 12 games of this season in Chicago. Yeah. Um, as far as the ceiling, like, I think there is there is a, a ceiling to what a coach can contribute because, you know, ultimately the players do have to score the goals and not let the other yeah. team score them. So uh, I, I think the last three to four years have been a case study in – what can go wrong when you have the wrong coach in the wrong position in Chicago. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, that's, I think we've, we've learned what not to do essentially. Yeah, fair enough. Yes. Some hard lessons to be learned. That is for mm-hmm. sure. Um, finally, before uh, the flames and Blackhawks meet, is there um, anything we need to know about the Blackhawks? Anybody um, in specific that maybe flames fans aren't um, in touch with or should know about mm. that was a really roundabout question i'm sorry that <laughs> took a long time to get there <laughs> um, I, I again i will i will tout again alex the brinkett is becoming a star player i think he's on pace for 50 goals right now um yeah. and he is uh he's becoming everything that the hawks would have wanted him to be and he was he was a second round pick because he's only five six and he's proving to be well uh playing well beyond his size he actually got in a fight a game uh, a week ago it was against it was against somebody who's about as tall as he is, uh, Yanni Gord from Seattle. And his okay. other, the other, he also loves to fight Sam Gerard in Colorado because he's also about five six five seven. Uh, I thought him and Tyler Myers were going to get into it because Myers kind of ran him into the wall Sunday night, but Myers is six eight, so that's doesn't feel like different. a fair fight for Debrinket. Um, Kubalik's another name that uh, again he's been scuffling a little bit, so not really. Uh, maybe he'll break out it's against Calgary or somewhere else, but he's a guy that can. He's a very good secondary scorer when he's playing right. Um, another name to watch I would give is uh, Brandon Hagel, who's become mm-hmm. a little bit of the folk hero on the team lately. Um, think Andrew Shaw when he was in Chicago. 
with a little less of the stupidity or stupid penalties taken. Uh, yep. Tends to draw more penalties because he just skates his ass off all over the ice. Um, may not have quite that the hands and the hockey ability that Shaw did because that's what made Shaw so good. Um, but but Hagel's probably like a twenty to twenty five goal scorer who will just skates uh, just skate on the forecheck on defense, just skates everywhere, and he moves really well. I'd say those those are probably the big names. Um, the other one I'd, I'd love to tell you more about Kirby Doc, but uh, he's we just keep everyone just keeps saying he's still young, he's still young, and at some point we're like, yeah, he's old. More like like our our staff. This is this is a very big thing on our staff. Like one of our staffers keeps telling me like he's young. All the micro stats are good. Like he's he's doing all the little things well, but like the points aren't showing up. So it's like I just want just score just have a five point game and then shut everyone up. Yeah, it it sounds a lot like. <laughs> well, it sounds a lot like when Calgary had Sam Bennett when he was the number four pick in the draft. And Bennett, everybody yeah. was like, no, he'll get there. And we're like, no, he's just not good. And now he's playing well in Florida. So maybe it was just a system fit. But uh, yeah. hey, if Dabrinkit's looking for somebody to fight, Gaudreau's about his size. And we <laughs> joked the other night, Johnny Gaudreau, we have a new term. He had a Johnny Gaudreau hat trick. He scored a goal. He took a penalty and he threw a hit. So like. <laughs> okay. Well, I like Alex Dabrinkit is surprisingly ornery. Like for a guy yeah. who's 5'6", like he does not. If he if he gets aggrieved on the ice, he does is not a shy of of dropping gloves. Like I don't, we don't want him to because we'd rather have him be on the ice yeah. scoring goals. But he is not he's not shy, which is probably part of the reason why he's as good as he is. Yeah, no, we don't need Johnny Goodrow getting in any fights. No, I, just, I'd rather see both of them. Goodrow and, honest, <laughs> and honestly, like both of them playing hockey, yes. And if you look down the Flames roster, uh, this really, I mean, it's Lucic, Goodbranson, and Zadorov oh, are going to be the guys you're going to fight, and hey. they're all much bigger than him. <laughs> How is the Nikita Zadorov experience, by the way? Because we we just <laughs> we, we, had the, we had enough. So I was glad when he left town. I'm just curious what you guys think about that. You know what's funny? During the preseason, there were two games back to back where I watched Zadorov and Goodbranson on one line, on that pairing, and we were all like, "Oh my god, this is what's replacing Mark Giordano. This is what's coming." <laughs> And it was like they were getting spun around. They were falling mm-hmm. down. They were all over the place. I was like, "This is gonna suck." And honestly, they've been fine. They really have been. Okay. I've I've enjoyed Zadorov, believe it or not. Um, he was my favorite was the other night. He was I forget who the Flames were playing. It was before the Flyers. They took on the Flyers, and there was somebody like running their mouth to to Zadorov, and he was just skating next to them and just berating them and smiling while he was doing it. And I was like, that's not the guy you want to talk smack to. Yeah, he's huge yeah. and he's laughing at you. He's yeah. gonna kill you. you know? Yeah. And yeah. then. I mean- and he scored a goal and like the highlight afterwards is great. He scored the goal and he just kind of shrugged his shoulders as he skated by the bench. It was like that moment from Rocky where like uh, Drago's like, if he dies, he dies. Yes. <laughs> yes exactly. I, I wanted to like Zadorov because you said he's huge and he actually moves pretty well, but he just, he'll skate way too far to throw a hit. Like in the hits cool. And that like the, the meatball portions of the Blackhawks fan base just adored him. I'm like, yeah, I mean, he throws the hit cool, but you know, the three on two behind him because he skated out of position yeah. is not what you want. And it's like, there, there were like, when you talk, going back to the conversation about players and fit with their coaches, like the one thing that uh, from people in Colorado said is he's really, really good at stepping up at the blue line and denying zone injuries. He'll, he'll stop a rush before yeah. he even gets started. And that was the number one thing that the Hawks never, ever, ever did under the Jeremy Colleton era. So, yeah. so, so the one thing he was good at, he never got to do in Chicago. So, <laughs> We were well, as soon as he walked to free agency, we're just we started. We had a parade. I don't know if you guys saw it. Yeah, yeah we uh, we we uh we were very like 
we'll see how it goes because our introduction to Zadorov was uh, his rookie year in Colorado when mm-hmm. he absolutely mauled Dylan Dubé on a really dirty hit. And Lucic just dropped his gloves and didn't even wait. He spun Zadorov around and just punched him straight in the face. Like so. But now yeah. they're teammates. And and honestly, I'm I'm one of the few people I kind of have this, I got a thing for him. Like I like the weird flames players. Okay. You know, the odd guys they bring in. So I'm okay with Zadorov for now. I mean he scored a goal in a breakaway. So you know, I got you know, I got I got I got nothing but love for Nikita Zadorov right Zidorov now. Zadorov had a breakaway. Yeah, it was it was a quasi had... breakaway. He took the fucking brought it in and he shot it from a distance and scored. But it's a breakaway for him. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So yeah. yeah, so so the Nikita Zadorov era is is doing okay here in Calgary. Okay. And I mean, he's obviously a Daryl Sutter wet dream. You know, he's a big yeah. physical yes. guy. So yeah. he's all those guys that he brought in. We're like, but they're 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 doing their job. So um, excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on and chatting a little bit and updating us on the Blackhawks. And like I said, I know you guys have been through a lot this season, so we appreciate it. And you know, great job covering you know what's been a difficult season so far. Yeah, thanks. We're we're hoping to lay low the rest of the season. Like, we'll, we, I have no problem with the Hawks being out of the spotlight for the next sixty games. That's fine. Just to go the next. We'll talk about everyone else. Yeah. Well, the next sixty years, whatever it takes, <laughs> as long as it's peaceful and quiet. You know, right? I, I know no one's gonna no one's gonna light any candles for Blackhawks fans after the last decade. So I'm not even gonna ask you to. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, Dave Melton from Second City Hockey came on to talk Blackhawks with us. You can find them on the web at www.second, completely spelled out, city.com, or you can find them on Twitter at the number two ND City Hockey. Um, do you guys do Instagram, or are those just your two? Platforms? No, no, we we stick to Twitter. We're we're not Fair enough. Yeah, we're not we're not photogenic enough for Instagram, so we stick <laughs> to Twitter. Fair <laughs> enough. All righty. Well, thank you so much for coming on Flames and Blackhawks on Tuesday. 9 p.m. Eastern time start, uh, 7 p.m. Mountain time. And uh, good luck the rest of the way. And thanks for coming on. Thanks, Mark. All right. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you find us on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Just search up Matchsticks and Gasoline. You can find us underneath there. You can find Behind Enemy Lines and also the Tinderbox. Download them, listen to them, like them. We appreciate everything. You can find us on the web at www.matchsticksandandgasoline.com or Twitter and Instagram at MatchsticksCGY. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Enemy Lines, and we will catch you next time.